Good morning again, Heritage Grace Church. Uh, Would you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6? If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. Uh, We have some on the table over there that, uh, yeah, would be our gift to you. If you don't have one or you don't have one in a translation that you can read, we would love to give that to you. Uh, If you don't normally bring your Bible, I would encourage you to bring your Bible. I mean, you certainly can use your phone and that too, but if you're anything like me, that is too distracting. But uh, it really is God's word that our church needs to be built on. Uh, I can't change a thing by the words I say. Uh, We can't change a thing by what we do apart from God's spirit working in us and through the power of his word. And so uh, as you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, once you've found it, would you stand uh, and Listen as I read from Ephesians chapter 6, God's holy and true word. You good, Lynn? No, not good. (laughs) You almost lost it there. All right. Let's hear God's word for us. Starting in verse 10. I'll read right up to verse 16. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. It is God's word for us today as we've covenanted together at this church that we will submit to the authority of Scripture as the final word on all matters of life and doctrine. So I pray that that would be true for us this morning, that it would be God's word that would transform us as we consider the shield of faith, a lesson in complete trust. Now, I'm sure you've heard the message in your life very often, just have faith. Maybe it's a little even more cautious than that. Just have a little faith. And that's not bad advice. We all need to have faith in our lives. We, uh, faith is really important. We know that even scripturally. The Bible talks a lot about faith. Even multiple times in Ephesians already. Paul starts out in chapter 1, and he praises the Ephesians for their faith. He articulates the powerful weight of the gospel in chapter 2, that we have received an incomprehensible gift that we have been saved by grace through faith. And in chapter 3, we're reminded that, amazingly, we have boldness and access and confidence to Christ through faith in him. And a few verses later, Paul prays that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith, that they would dwell in the hearts of the Ephesian believers Now already, just looking at that quick survey of Ephesians and the topic of faith, we start to get a holistic and biblical picture 
of what faith is. But still, you might be sitting there scratching your head thinking, man, it's one of those words, I know it, but I don't know how I could define it. Or, you know, I know I would stand up and say, I affirm the doctrine of justification by faith alone, but, but could I articulate that? Maybe, maybe not. It doesn't matter if you can articulate it. What does that mean for my life? How does that transform the way that I live? And I think the problem is too many of us have a bit of a foggy view of what faith is, what faith means. And this foggy view of faith is all too common in both Christian and non-Christian circles. We're left thinking that we just need to have a little bit of faith. And it doesn't really ever get deeper than that. We're left singing, you gotta have faith with George Michael. We're left singing, don't stop believing with Journey. But we don't ever answer the question, what is our faith in? What are we believing in? And so what is faith in the most basic sense? What is faith? Faith is believing in something, believing in someone. It's complete trust. If we had to boil it down, I think that's a helpful definition for us. Faith is complete trust. And so we can all agree that faith is important. We need to trust in someone. We need to trust in something. We need to trust. But when we put our faith in the wrong place, we run into trouble. Strong faith, placed wrongly, is dangerous territory. And so we're going to get into it, but our big idea from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, is faith in Christ is a gift of God for active defense. Okay, a couple things going on there. Faith in Christ is a gift of God for active defense. And so for us, it's a lesson in complete trust. Paul shows us that this next piece of spiritual armor that God gives to us is this shield of faith. And so I pray that we would all come away encouraged that it's not the amount of our faith that we can muster that is our protection. Faith is a gift from God, but it is still active. We are called to take up this shield. And so it's in this tension of God's sovereignty and human responsibility that I want to swim a little bit as we consider this topic of faith, this lesson in complete trust, how faith in Christ is a gift with responsibility. So on that note, we're going to be considering this morning this imagery of taking up a shield, taking up this shield of faith. When we think about it, you might, uh, if you read the words that Paul writes, there's no denying that it is mandatory we must do this in all circumstances but you may come away thinking that it's an optional thing that like okay i'm a christian but i'm not like one of those super christians or i'm not one of those next level christians i don't have this crazy faith this shield of faith that i can take up you know i'm, ha I'm happy if i just make it through the day but i want to encourage you here christian or not everybody here takes up a shield of faith everybody does christian or not adult child we all put our complete trust in something in some things or in someone we all do it and so we will all take up a, a shield but but what kind of shield and so our points this morning as we work through this passage i want to consider two types of shields the ones that we too often grab and the one that we undeniably need so first the shields that we too often grab flammable shields, and therefore flammable faith. Let's consider this this morning. So as we look at verse 16, Paul says right away, in all circumstances, 
In all circumstances, we need to take up this shield of faith. And then he tells us why. He says, to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Why shoot flaming darts? I always wondered this. It's, you know, you're shooting uh, an arrow that does a lot of damage. And when I was a kid, I remember thinking like, oh man, that's just like double tough. You know, if the arrow's on fire, it's going to accomplish, it's just, it's going to add insult to injury or maybe injury to injury. It's like, what's worse than a fatal arrow wound? Being on fire with a fatal arrow wound. That's what I thought. And I never really thought about the imagery. Why would you light an arrow on fire? Well, the shields that Paul is talking about here, uh, it's a bit of a misnomer from the kids drawing things, the, the graphics that we've chosen on the screen. The shields that we're talking about looked more like a door than a dinner plate. They were large shields. You could get your whole body behind these Roman shields. They were curved on the sides to give you a little bit of protection from different angles. And they could be put together. Maybe you've seen the kind of walls that are made when those shields come together and you're able to make this real big protective fortress that's portable because it comes with you. Now, these are big shields. And as much as uh, you would want, they would be too heavy if they were made of different materials that might be the strongest material. And so as much as you want, might want a four-foot by two-and-a-half-foot plate of steel going into battle, it's not terribly practical. You wouldn't get very far. It would protect you, but you wouldn't get very far. And so the shields that Paul's talking about were made of wood. The problem is wood is flammable. Wood can catch fire. And so the shield that you have is arguably your best protection. It's what you have in front of you. And if you were facing an opponent with one of these big doorway-looking shields, the best thing you could do is to have them lose their shield. That's your number one, well, your number one tactic is to hit them with an arrow. But let's say you don't get them with the arrow. The best thing you can do is to have them lose their shield so that now they're an open target. And so what do you do? You dip your arrows in pitch, you light them on fire, and you let her rip. If you hit your opponent, success. If you don't, if you hit the shield with your flaming arrow, well, maybe it'll catch the shield on fire. And you force the one that's holding it to ditch that shield. You force them to lose arguably their best defense. Now, because these shields were made of wood, what did they do? Well, they coated the shields. They covered them with leather or canvas. And they would often soak them in water prior to battle so that uh, they would be less flammable. So that they wouldn't even just stop an arrow, but that they would extinguish an arrow. And so if you were carrying one of these leather-covered, water-soaked shields, the arrow would hit your shield and the fire would go out and no harm. This is the image that Paul gives to the Ephesians in chapter 6. And for us, it's faith in Christ that is the shield we need to extinguish the flaming darts. Now the problem is we are so focused on having a little faith we are not thinking about what we're putting our faith in. And so we end up with flammable shields. I learned this lesson about flammability uh, that the first brush fire I ever went to as a firefighter. I, now, when you're fighting a grass or brush fire, depending where it is, and there's some people in the room that would have experience with this, depending where it is, you can't always bring a hose with you. You know, it might be too far. And so this one, it was my first one. It was in the middle of a cornfield. And all the hose on the truck wouldn't get us to where this fire was. 
And so what we have, there's a couple different things, but the one thing we have is grass brooms. If it's not too big of, uh, I know it sounds like a bad tool, but it's a good tool for the job. If it's not a huge raging inferno, you can take one of these grass brooms. It looks a lot like a normal broom. Uh, and you would go and you would beat down the grass, the brush. You would kind of sweep out the fire. And they actually work pretty well. But they work best when they're wet. Now, some departments soak them. Others just periodically dunk them. I didn't know this. We don't fight a lot of grass fires in the city of Waterloo. And so I learned this lesson the hard way. Things were going really great until they weren't. I was literally beating the fire to death until my broom caught fire. And I can assure you that a grass broom is a good tool, but it becomes a lot less effective when you're effectively waving a torch surrounded by dry brush. And you're just spreading the fire everywhere. It's not a good tool for the job in that case. Now, as much as it's a silly story that had no consequences, we were in the middle of a cornfield and it was not moving that quick, don't worry. If you were in a bad spot, that wouldn't be funny at all. If you were in a very real battle with very real flaming arrows to bring a flammable tool, a flammable shield into battle would be the worst decision that you could make. So the question I want to ask you this morning is what shield are you bringing into battle? What shield are you taking up? Where are you placing your complete trust? I bet a lot of us in this room know the right answer to that question. But if we really held up a mirror to our life, where is, what is, who is your shield? Because when we put our faith in the wrong place, we place all of our complete trust, all of our faith into an idol, a flammable shield. This concept of idolatry is important. It's an important concept because it's fundamentally what's wrong with the human heart. Romans chapter 1, Paul articulates this in verse uh, 21 through 25. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. We put all of our faith in created things rather than the creator. And these idols, they may be bad things, but they may not even be bad things. And that's the scary part. It's why idolatry can be so toxic. Because we can take even a good thing, and if we make it a God thing, we've sworn allegiance completely to an idol. We've taken up our shield of faith that offers absolutely no protection. We put our complete trust in something that offers no protection. We build our house on shifting sand. And so, for example, this could look different in a lot of our lives. But the Bible speaks a lot about love. Love is vital in every sphere of our life. But love can be an idol. We put all our hope, all our faith in love with and from other people. 
And then we sin against them. They sin against us. And before we know it, our shield bursts into flames. What about money? We put our complete trust in money or our possessions or our status. Again, the Bible talks a lot about money and possessions. But when these things become ultimate, we've got big problems. Money can be lost easily. It can corrupt easily. And before we know it, our shield at best burns up and at worst blows up in our face. Whenever we put faith in created things rather than the creator, we're taking our wooden shields and we're wrapping them in tissue paper instead of leather and we're dunking them in gasoline instead of water. And we're going in to battle. When the flaming arrows of spiritual warfare come, when Satan attacks with doubts, discouragements, and sin, we realize pretty quickly that we have put all of our faith in something that burns up like that. What we need for protection and security turns out to be useless for the task. And not only useless, it can even be dangerous. And so we talked about the first week in this little series within a series about how Satan is crafty. Why wouldn't he exploit this massive weakness in our armor if we're carrying around a flammable shield and therefore flammable faith? If these arrows will hit us where we are most vulnerable... That Satan's primary goal is more than physical harm. It's to have you doubt the word of God. If he can get you to forget God's faithfulness, to lose faith in the promises of God, that's his chief end. That's better than hitting you with an arrow. It's an assault on your faith. And this has been his tactic from the beginning. What did he say to Eve in the garden? Did God really say? Did God really say that you couldn't eat from the tree in the garden? Well, no, that's not what he said. But it didn't matter. The seeds of doubt were planted. He's subtle. And it's craftier and more manipulative of a tactic to twist words and motivations. And so I want to ask you this morning, are there places in your life where you are listening to this? Right, the devil is not like a character sitting on your shoulder, whispering in your ear. But in a sense, there's some truth to that caricature that we're listening to these lies. Where are you doubting the promises of God? And why are you doubting them? What do these arrows, these flaming darts look like to you? Maybe you think, oh, it's not really hurting anyone. That's well, a twisting and toxic thought. Did God really say that he wants you to be alone? And so you end up in a relationship that you know is wrong. Does God want you to be struggling financially? And so you hoard your money that was never really yours to begin with. And you don't care who gets in your way, but you need more, more, more. Does God really want you to be uncomfortable? And so you create this little American dream life where you don't have time to love your brothers and sisters, to love your neighbors, or to share the hope that you have in Christ. It's these places in our lives where we invest completely in a shield that is doomed to fail. Doomed to fail. And maybe if you're honest, you know that there's an arrow that's in your shield right now. Just smoldering away. And maybe you don't sense the harm. Or maybe you justify it. Maybe you think, ah, oh, you know, I got time. Things are okay. It's just smoldering there. You know, the battlefield's cold. It's keeping me warm. Friend, it's killing you. 
if we put our faith in the wrong place. And I hope this passage is a good reminder for each of us, a helpful way for us to look where we have wrongly placed faith, where we have wrongly put our complete trust, and that we would notice that before our shield catches fire. Either way, we may think that we have it all together. We may create a facade where we have it all together. Uh, From the outside looking in, we may have the prettiest shield on the block until it bursts into flames. Like the wise theologian that he is, Mike Tyson says this, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Everyone puts their complete trust in something until it bursts into flames. Our gasoline-soaked, tinfoil, papier-mâché shields may look really great until the flaming arrows come raining down. And so what Paul says in verse 16 is that in all circumstances we are to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. It's a sobering warning for us not to just grab any shield. It's to take up the shield of faith. And you may be thinking, Aaron, my faith is weak. I have doubts. I have fears. My faith is not fireproof. It's not solid. Friend, I have an encouragement for you. The shield that you take up is not the substance of your faith. It's the object of your faith. God gives us this fireproof faith. This is part of the armor of God that he has given to believers. He says this is a war bigger than what you can handle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But he promises to give us what we need. But in order to consider this, we must first give up the fragile, futile, inflammable shields that we have in our lives so we can take up real, biblical, God-given faith, the real shield that we need, that fireproof faith. Let's consider what that fireproof faith looks like. What does it mean to have real faith? What does it mean to have faith that is a shield that can actually extinguish these fiery darts? It means to trust completely in one who can actually handle this kind of weight. And so what what can stand against the fiery darts of accusation and attack? Or who can stand against the fiery darts of accusation and attack? Well, on our own merit, those flaming arrows hit their mark every time. But the record of debt that stands against us because of our sin has been paid for by Christ, as Kaylee read for us earlier. That is good news. That Christ stood in our place. He faced ultimate accusation and attack. He bore the weight of your sin. If you would turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation, the price that Jesus paid was enough that by living a sinless life, dying the death that you and I deserved, and by rising, the victory was sealed that he could be and would be the shield that we need to take up. That we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, trusting in what Christ has done. It's our only hope. That is the gospel, and that is our shield. And so the question here remains, 
that tension that we're swimming in. Well, if we're justified by faith alone, isn't it still the strength of my faith that saves me? No. Throughout the Bible, God has been described as a shield, as a refuge for his people. And so why does Paul instruct us to take up this shield? Right up until this point, the armor was preparatory, preparatory. Right, it's to stand there for, having fastened on the belt of truth. You've already got that on, your sound doctrine. Remember, we talked about that. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You've already got that ready, right? Christ's righteousness. And as shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel. We talked about that too. You already got your shoes on. And you've got good news to share, this gospel of peace. That's preparatory. It's like we're waiting in the barracks. We got our foundational belt, our breastplate of righteousness, we got our gospel shoes on, but boom, the battle horn goes off. And in all those circumstances, we are to take up this shield of faith. And what does that mean? Well, taking up the shield of faith is the means by which we run to God for refuge. Our faith in and of itself, the strength of our faith, is not our shield, but our faith is the means by which we run to God for refuge. I really want you to remember that and hear that this morning. Faith is the means by which we run to God for refuge. The strength of our faith is not the shield itself, but the object of our faith is the shield. The object of our faith is Christ. Of all the biographies I've read, George Mueller has to be one of the greatest examples of pure faith. One of his chief ends in his life, he says, was to hope that his life would demonstrate that God is real, that he is faithful, that he is trustworthy, and that he answers prayer. That was one of his missions in life. He wanted just to be a walking example of God's faithfulness, not for his glory, but for God's glory. He's the one who you might have heard the stories. He started a bunch of orphanages, and they wouldn't have any food, but he would sit down with the kids anyway for dinner, trusting that the Lord would provide, and all of a sudden a knock comes on the door, and oh, you know, the baker accidentally made too much bread, and oh, well, that's... A, Fun coincidence. And oh, the milk cart going by, the wheel broke, and now all the milk's going to go bad if there isn't a bunch of hungry orphans to drink it. It's amazing, the stories of this guy's life. Never asked for a dime, just prayed that the Lord would provide. And you wouldn't believe the impact. The amount of orphans that were saved, the amount of people that heard the gospel. That's faith that intimidates me. That's faith that I know I don't have the volition on my own to have. But Mueller understood that faith is a gift to the believer. He wrote this, It is true that the faith which I am able to exercise is God's own gift. He alone supports it, and he alone can increase it. Moment by moment, I depend on him. If I were left to myself, my faith would utterly fail. Moment by moment, I depend on him. If I were left to myself, my faith would utterly fail. It feels like a paradox, right? Faith is a gift, but we need to have enough faith to trust that God will give us the faith that we need. It's how we can say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And faith is also not blind trust. Faith is built on complete trust in God and the promises that he's made. Paul shows us this again in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. He says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. 
Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our faith is anchored in the hope of the gospel. This is exactly why these arrows and Satan's attacks want to cause us to doubt God's faithfulness. It's why we need to be word-driven in all parts of our life. Our fickle minds need to be refreshed daily, every morning, that God's faithfulness is great, that his promises are true, that he does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has been, is, and will be faithful always. We need to gaze on, as we considered last week, the panoramic beauty of the gospel. We need to let it saturate our hearts and minds, and we need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. And by implication, this is inherently corporate. We have to do this together. You think of the Roman legion. They're standing there, and they're shield to shield. They can create that wall together. It is a beautiful thing to have brothers and sisters in Christ that we can stand shield to shield with. It's the way God designed the church to operate. And so when I need it, I can call on Dan. I can be like, Dan, man, my shield's going down. I need you. And Dan's going to come, and he's going to put his shield right next to mine. That's what it means to be part of a family. That's what it means to be shield to shield. It's a beautiful thing to have brothers and sisters beside you that have promised to have your back. Because too often, you know, we didn't maybe soak our shield long enough before battle, and all of a sudden things are smoldering and we're getting worried. We need each other. We need to be reminded constantly of the faithfulness of God. And this is where sometimes we can get faith wrong. Faith is not simply an insurance policy. Right? Maybe you've thought that in your life. Maybe, or maybe you're thinking that this morning. Yeah, I guess I'll trust Christ. That's, you know, at least then I have a chance. You know, if, if I'm right, good. If I'm wrong, well, we're all doomed. That's not faith. Faith may be fragile at times. But it is like being underwater and thrusting your hand up, knowing that your Savior is ready to grab your wrist. You need to put your hand up. You need to do that. But it's not your grip that saves you. It's your Savior who saves you. And so as we consider faith this morning, what it means to take up a shield of faith, there are two ditches that we can fall into on either side of what often feels like a very narrow road. One ditch is trusting completely in things that we have no business trusting in completely. They can't bear the weight. Those are our flammable shields that we too often grab. There's just no way to see that that's a good strategy when you know the flaming arrows are coming. And the other ditch we fall into is thinking that we are uh, saying with our lips that we're justified by faith alone, yet working for it. This is where we think that it's the strength of our faith that saves us. Like Alistair Begg said in a sermon one time, if, if we were to answer the question, the common and sometimes a trite question, if you died tonight and were standing before the gates of heaven, what would you say? Alistair Begg says, if you start that question, or if you start your answer in the first person, you've immediately gone wrong. Well, I believed. Well, I did this. No. If that's what we think about faith, we're not running into battle with a flammable shield. We're running into battle with no shield at all. We are hoping that we are good enough, that the strength of our faith is enough. And we'll find out very quickly how very arrow-proof we are not. 
the only answer to that question of what we would say before the throne of God, it better start with he. He, Jesus, is my only answer. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. No matter what ditch we are most likely to fall into, having a flammable shield or having no shield at all, what we must remember is that there is nothing else or no one else who has done what Christ has done for us. We must remember that it's not the strength of our faith that saves, but your security rests completely in the fact that Christ has been faithful for you. Our hope is rooted in God's faithfulness. D.A. Carson preached a sermon at a Together for the Gospel conference, and he told this story, which I'm going to rip off from him, but full credit goes to D.A. Carson. Well, full credit goes to God uh, for the nature of the story. But D.A. Carson said this. He was talking about two Jews the day before the first Passover in Egypt. One says to the other, Man, you nervous? The other says, Well, God told us what to do. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you killed the lamb? Haven't you put the blood on the doorposts? First one replies, well, yeah, of of course I killed the lamb. Of course I put the blood on the doorposts. I'm not stupid. But it's still pretty scary if you think about all that's gone on recently. The flies and the frogs and the river of blood, the darkness, it's crazy, man. I'm nervous. I don't want to lose my son. But of course, I put blood on the doorposts. It's still scary, though. The other says, oh, bring it on. I trust in the promises of God. And so the angel of the Lord swept through that night. Which one lost his son? Neither. Because death does not pass over them because of the strength or the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercise, but on the ground of the blood of the lamb. That's what silences the accuser. And the same is true for us with our perfect lamb, Christ. And so when those arrows come, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. It's the blood of Christ that was shed for our sin that will cover us. Is the only way that we can know peace with God. The only way that we can come before the throne of God above. Christ is our only strong and perfect plea. Friend, if you put your faith in Christ, strong or weak as it might be at times, you will stand before the throne and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because your faith was clear enough, not because your faith was intense enough, not because your faith was strong enough, but because Christ was strong enough for you. Because what Christ did for you was absolutely, undeniably, definitely enough. Brothers and sisters, that is the fireproof shield that you must take up every day in all circumstances, trust completely in Christ alone. And so you gotta have faith. 
But you've got to have faith in a mighty Savior. Let's pray. God, we come to you humble, knowing that it could never be the strength of our faith on our own merit that could save us. But that we can come, that we can be saved not because of the strength or intensity or clarity of our faith, but because of the blood of the lamb that was shed for us. God, we thank you for Christ. I pray for anyone here who maybe has even lived their life, and it looks really good, holding up a shield that, that looks like we're ready for battle, but Lord, deep down we know that, that it's ready to burst into flames. God, help us to ground all of our hope in your faithfulness. Be our refuge. Be our shield. Lord, we believe and help our unbelief. We thank you for our mighty Savior that we can have confidence that because the sinless Savior died, our sinful souls are counted free. It's in his name, our Savior, the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.